And you guys can go ahead and have a seat. And we have an announcement about our missions convention. And Mim Case is coming to tell us all about it. Good morning. In your bulletin, there are two handouts. I brought one, the blue one, and then there's another one that has a lot of text on it. But it's all about the missions convention that's coming up. Houghton puts on a convention, but it's not a convention in the sense of one event. This is about four weeks of events, all talking about being made new in Christ. The centerpiece of this will be next Sunday morning right here in the sanctuary as we come in worship. Dr. Mike Walters will be preaching about this conversion experience, but also the ongoing being made new, continually being transformed by the Spirit. The other events will deal with three different uh, area ministries. In Angelica is Wellspring Ministries. Then in our county, Allegheny County, they have a, a foster care program that we work with. And then up in Buffalo is West Side Ministries, working with refugees. Our different events will center on those things. You can read about each of the events in the bulletin there. The blue form is those events that we need to sign up from you. So if you will fill that out and put it into the offering plate at the end of the service today, that will help us know how many meals and things or transportation that we need to get ready. So you are welcome at any and all of these events. Please sign up. Thank you. Thank you, Mim. And we do encourage you guys to get involved in some of these um, really exciting ways to be involved in ministry next weekend. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together. Glory like a 
You have my heart. 
The scripture reading for today comes from John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I know you just sat down, but I'm going to invite you to stand up and uh, share a word of greeting. Uh, Welcome to others who are here as we continue in worship today.
E.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago for many years and wrote a lot of books and had a significant influence on a lot of people in the church, highly respected. He made a statement that I have found uh, so thought-provoking for as I, when I read it a number of years ago. He said that the thing that comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The thing that comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think that's true because however we view God, it has a direct bearing on how we live. Whether you believe in in a God that we find in the pages of Scripture, or you believe that there's no God at all. Your view of God impacts how you live. I think that's why William Temple, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, said that when you have, when your concept of God is wrong, the more religion you get, the more dangerous you become to yourself and to others. If, that view, if our view of God is warped and twisted, then it leads us to warped and twisted ideas about life and about people and about the world. And so our view of God is so important. And one of the things that we are, we are commemorating in Epiphany is that God is revealing himself to us in Christ. And Epiphany is the, is the time of the year where we focus on the, the initial, the first manifestations of Jesus to people. And one of those places that we find Jesus' manifestations, his first ones, is in the passage we just read, John chapter 2. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, probably 30 years old. And he comes to this wedding, and this is the first miracle he performs. And John says in verse 11 that after Jesus performs this miracle, that the disciples believed in him. And when I read that, I thought, okay, I think the whole passage hinges on verse 11, that this miraculous sign of Cana was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. And my question was, what is it about this miracle that causes the disciples to believe? I mean, you know, it's a, it's, it's a nice miracle, it's a nice story, he does a nice thing. But what is it about turning water into wine that causes the disciples to say, all right, we were, we were sort of following Jesus before, now we were in with Jesus. We don't understand all of it, and as we go through the story, we'll see they don't understand all of it. But from what we know, we want to follow Jesus. What is it about this? I think it's what John says, that Jesus reveals his glory. And by that he really means Jesus reveals his nature, who he is, and subsequently who God is. Because Jesus is the the visible form of the invisible God, Paul writes to the Colossians. Jesus is revealing the nature of the king and his kingdom. He is helping us see this is what God is like and this is what his kingdom is like. And when we talk about signs... In the Old Testament, that term signs typically was spoken by the prophets. And they would say, this is a sign to you from God. And they meant there's something about something happening in the moment. But it's always about happening in the moment because of what's going to happen in the future. And when John says that Jesus reveals his glory in this sign, what he's really saying is, this is a glimpse of a part of the eternal kingdom of God. What Jesus is showing us is what God is like, what the kingdom is like, what we will experience ultimately when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. And here is Jesus in this miracle giving us a little glimpse, one facet of the diamond of the kingdom of God. And what does he tell us? What do we see here? What glimpse do we get? I think he's telling us that in the kingdom of God, Jesus is interested and involved in the commonness of every one of our lives. 
We have a tendency to think of God and his kingdom related to all the spiritual things that we do. And it's true. There's no doubt about that. When we come for worship, we think about God and his kingdom, his presence here. When we read our Bible, when we pray, when we're talking to people about Jesus, when we're in a Bible study, when we're in chapel, those are the times when we think about the presence of God, we think about the kingdom of God, and this is God at work. Most of the time, we aren't nearly as cognizant of God being present in all the other times of life. And this miracle is reminding us God is present in every moment of life. Every moment. There's something in us that I think has a difficult time really embracing that. One is because we tend to gravitate toward the extraordinary when we think about God. Okay, God, show me yourself. Do something so awesome nobody else could not believe that you aren't here. I'm looking for the big stuff. And the other thing is, if we believe that God is is at work and present and active and interested and involved in all the common moments of our lives, that means there really is no such thing as sacred and secular. It's all sacred. It's all God's time. And therefore, we are accountable to God about every single moment. Not just the ones that we call spiritual. God is present in the commonness of life, in those moments when we may least expect him and think about him. He's present. He's there. He's at work. He's interested. He's involved. That has a great bearing on how we pray. I hear people sometimes say about, you know, things, things in their lives. Well, you know, compared to all the other stuff going on in the world, it's really not that significant. And I hear some people say, you know, God's got a lot more things to worry about than this little problem that I'm dealing with. God's got wars to deal with and terrorism and elections and you know, all this big stuff. He doesn't have, you know, it's not only worry about my little things. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because the nature of the kingdom is personal. The nature of the kingdom, the coming of Christ, tells us God is with us every moment. And we come to God with every little thing. Because nothing is too trivial, nothing is too small for God. And by praying to God about the small things, we are in essence declaring, God, you are the God that you say you are. You are the God who cares about my life, every single moment of my life. Whether I think or anyone else thinks this issue is big or small makes no difference. God cares about it. God's interested and he's involved in it. And it doesn't matter if we're in church or we're praying or we're reading our Bible or we're in a Bible study or chapel or out on a tractor someplace or sitting behind a desk or standing in front of students or sitting in front of a teacher working in a factory or skiing down a snow mountain, it doesn't matter what we're doing. God is interested and there and present. That's what Brother Lawrence used to talk about when he said, when he talked about the practicing the presence of God. Thinking about God in every moment. And he talked about, you know, God being present with him while he peeled potatoes in the kitchen. And God being present when he set the table for all the other monks. And God being present when he was out tilling the garden. And God being present when he was taking out the garbage. God's present in all those moments. Nothing too small, too trivial for God. This wedding is, a, is an interesting story to think about. In first century Palestine, the weddings were typically would, uh, bride and groom would get married. And instead of going on a honeymoon like we tend to do, they would go to their home. And then for a week or so, they would host all their guests. And that's what we find, see happening here. They've been hosting their guests for a while. And now uh, the wine has run out. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, the wine's run out. Do something about it. And 
We, I'm trying to figure out why Mary is in charge of the wine. I, all I can figure is because it's a family member who's getting married. Maybe one of Jesus' siblings. I mean, that's why he's there too. And Mary's, Mary is, I don't think Mary's asking Jesus for a miracle. I think she's just saying, Jesus, you know, most people believe that Joseph is probably dead by now. And so Jesus is the head of the home. And when you have a problem like this, our family needs help, where do you go? You go to the head of the home. And you go to Jesus and says, do something about this. You're in charge. And Jesus says, eh, wait a second. That's not really what I'm here to do. And Mary says, you know, the humor of the story, Mary, it's as though Mary didn't hear him at all. She just says to the servants, okay, just do what he tells you. And Jesus, I can see Jesus going, wait a minute, what just happened here? Uh, you know, I just said, I'm not doing this. And Mary said, sure you are, you're doing it. You're my little boy, you do what I tell you, right? I mean, I had all these mother jokes I was going to tell to you today, but I decided not to. My mother might be listening, so I decided not to do that. But, you know, I, I have come to the conclusion, you never stop being the child of your mother. And you never stop being the mother of your children. You know, there's just this relationship. Jesus is 30 years old, and his mother is saying, hey, do what I want. Do what I tell you to do. Don't look at me like that. You do what I tell you to do. And when Jesus says, it's not my time yet, I don't think he means, I'm not supposed to do this. Because he does it. And so if he's not supposed to do it, he wouldn't do it, or that would now be disobedience. There's something about the, the, the timing of this event that, I don't know, maybe in Jesus' mind, he is thinking, really, a wedding? That's the place where I do the first sign of, my, of, of the bringing in the kingdom? It, it's that something as common and ordinary as a wedding? Shouldn't it at least be in the synagogue? Should we at least have the scriptures out as I'm doing this? I don't know. But he does it. And we're reminded that God is active and involved in all the moments of our lives. Nothing's too small. Nothing is too small. But I think Jesus is also telling us, giving us a glimpse of the kingdom, that nothing is too big either. Because Jesus does the miracle. Jesus is Lord of creation. It's what John is telling us in the, in the beginning of the gospel. In the very first words of the gospel, he says, in the beginning the word already existed, the word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. It's what Paul writes about to the Colossians. When he says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Jesus is Lord of creation. And he can do miracles. Nothing is too big for him. And as we live our lives and we think about God in the commonness of life, nothing is too big for him. No grief is too deep that he cannot heal it. No struggle is too great that he cannot restore it. No difficulty is too big that he cannot heal it. We live in this fallen, broken world with all kinds of fallen, broken stuff. And in the midst of it, do we believe that God is bigger than all the stuff? Do we believe that Jesus is Lord of our problems and our difficulties and our struggles? Is he Lord? Believing that changes everything about how we live. I think it changes the perspective of how we view the kingdom in the sense that we now begin to understand that the kingdom is about abundance, 
not scarcity and stinginess. Now, someone said to me this week, when you read this story, and it's as if they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, we want wine. And Jesus says to them, you want wine? I'll give you wine. How about 180 gallons of wine? He fills up these huge pots. I mean, they have got more than they could ever use. And one of the things about the kingdom that I think we sometimes miss is that the kingdom and God, his kingdom is about abundance, not scarcity, not stinginess. We have this, I think we live with this sense that we have to sort of pry every good thing out of God's hands. The reality is God is giving us more than we could ever dream or imagine. In John 1, he talks about how Jesus has come in abundance. In the abundance of God's grace, he has come to us. In Ephesians chapter 3, God, Paul says to, to the church, Look, I, I pray that you will know the, how high and how long and how deep and how wide is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That you will understand. I pray for God's blessing upon you that is above and beyond anything you could dream or imagine. The abundance of the kingdom. We get so wrapped up in scarcity and stinginess. And the problem is, if our view of God is that he and his kingdom are, are about scarcity and stinginess, we will become people of scarcity and stinginess. Because we think we've got to protect what we have. Because if we lose it, we're done. We don't really believe that God can take care of us that God will, will help us if we give away and are generous with what we have. I've known some really generous people in my life, and every one of them has an understanding of God as generous. I've never yet met someone who saw, thought of God as stingy and was generous. Jesus is Lord of all creation. He blesses us. He gives us more than we could dream or imagine. And instead of living in fear that we're not going to have enough, instead of living in fear that, that we might lose what we have, instead of living in fear that God may not be there for us, we live with freedom. And in that freedom, we celebrate I think one of the, one of the images of, of Jesus as Lord of creation in the story is celebration. It's a wedding celebration. And of all, and John has seven signs in his gospel. And the other signs are things like healing the man who's been blind all of his life. And healing a man who's been lame all of his life. And feeding the 5,000 with this little boy's lunch. And ultimately, raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, these are big signs. And here's the first one. It's turning water into wine. And you might say, it doesn't seem like much. What kind of message is that sending? It's that Jesus is Lord of creation. And as the Lord, his kingdom is one of celebration. Not strictness and somberness. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't lament. And it doesn't mean that we don't weep over the conditions of the world. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. But the reality is, I think for most Christians... We're pretty good at weeping and lamenting. We've gotten that part down pretty well. I don't think we're as good as celebrating. Celebrating God in our lives, celebrating God in other people's lives. I mean, this is a wedding. And really, if you boil this thing down, what you've got here is this six or seven day celebration and you've gotten somewhere into the middle of it and the wine has run out. And if the wine runs out, the party's done, everybody goes home and the family loses face. And so what does Jesus do? He kicks up the party once again. I mean, in a sense, that's what he's doing. He's saying, let's get this party going. And, and, he, and he, brings, he brings the party back to life so that this family doesn't lose face. And there's celebration. I think for, I, I know a number of Christians who, who, you know, on the side say to me, I really wish that story wasn't in the Bible. And there is something to be said for, I mean, people want to make the argument about alcohol. And, and I have real issues about alcohol. I think it is so detrimental to our lives and to society. So many bad things about it. 
But in their culture, they didn't have a lot of choices like we do. But the bottom line is, Jesus is saying, celebrations are good. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, even in the midst of struggles and pain and difficulty, there is this underlying sense of hope and this underlying sense of joy. In many ways, that's what it means to live a holy life. To live a holy life, we've often equated with strictness and severity. But the truth is, if you really have the Spirit in you, you celebrate. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is not strictness and severity. I think we've missed that along the way. It doesn't mean we're not serious about life or serious about God. What it may mean is that maybe we don't take ourselves quite as seriously. But God calls us to celebrate as his people. He set us free. He's made us new. We are, we are new creatures in Christ. And we have the hope of life and eternity. And isn't it fascinating that in John's revelation, when you get near the end of it, and John is describing what that realm looks like, one of the images he gives us He says, I looked, and in heaven there was this huge wedding feast. Celebration. Because Christ has conquered death. And because all who are in Christ, all who have trusted Christ, will conquer death and live eternally with him. We celebrate. And not only is that lost on us too often, it was lost on the first century Jews too. It's not a coincidence that Jesus chooses these washing pots to do this miracle. These great big, these big jugs to hold 20 or 30 gallons of water, they were used as ceremonial washing so that when people came in from uh, traveling, walking on dusty roads and sandals, they would pour water on their feet, but they would also pour the water over their arms and their hands and to cleanse them. And you did that before a meal and you did that between every course of the meal. And you can see where that would be hygienically a good idea and just kind of clean up your hands. But it became so much more than that. It actually became a sign of of being right with God. You do the right rituals, and that makes you right with God. And that's why Jesus is is condemned by the Pharisees that his disciples don't go through all the right hand-washing rituals. It must mean they don't care anything about God. And if they don't care about God, then God doesn't care about them. It's directly related to how God feels about you if you do the right rituals. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not about these legalistic rituals. Wash your hands. Good. You should wash your hands. That's that's good hygiene. But it has nothing to do with the kingdom. The kingdom is not about confining us and limiting us. It's about setting us free to celebrate and to rejoice because Jesus is is Lord of all. And the Lord of all cares about, is involved in every single moment of our lives. I think this passage is asking two things from us. I think one, it's calling us to to live with a spirit of openness. To be looking for God in the commonness of our lives. In those moments, we might least expect God to be there, to look for him there. The thing that I've found is that when I look for God, I tend to see him. And the second thing this is calling of us is, is to trust, to believe that God is Lord of all the things of our lives. All the decisions that are out in front of us. All of the burdens, all the struggles, all the pain, all the hurts, all of it, he is Lord. And we can trust him. It may not turn out exactly the way we want, but we can trust him. I keep coming back to Tozer's statement. What comes to our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. 
So what comes to your mind when you think about God? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace to us. Your mercy to us. Give us eyes to see you. Give us hearts to trust you. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. In a few moments, praying together and As we do that, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come to this moment of prayer because we know that we need you. Because we believe that you are good and merciful. We come in this moment because we know there is nothing too trivial. Nothing too trivial for you. And we come in this moment because we believe there is nothing too great, too big for you. So in that spirit, hear our prayers. We pray this morning, Father, for all who are grieving. We ask that you would comfort them with your presence. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness. And we think especially of Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. Father, we bring to you all of the other burdens and concerns in our lives. And in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Father, we thank you for the ongoing ministries of this church. Now our lives are touched by those who minister to us through the church. Today we pray especially for the ministry of of the junior church, of our junior church here. Thank you for the leaders, the helpers. We thank you for every one of our children who are involved in this ministry. We pray that you will use this ministry to speak your truth into their lives and that it would be planted deep into their hearts. And because of this ministry, our children would, would continue to grow in their love for you. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We think of, of the ministry around us and we thank you for the ministry of the Rushford Baptist Church and Pastor Finley. We pray your blessing upon the church and all that they do and all the ways that they minister your grace in Rushford and beyond. We pray you pour your blessing upon them. Father, we pray for the team that's going out tonight and tomorrow morning to Haiti for a couple of weeks of ministry and medical and dental work. We pray your blessing upon them as they go out again this year. For so many years, continue to bless their work and may their lives have an impact on those they serve. We pray, Father, for your grace in helping the Alan Shea and his family be able to return to Liberia. And as they continue to, to finish up their support, we pray that you would take care of all those concerns and needs. And Father, we thank you for what's happening in Albania, a place of difficulty and persecution and opposition, 
So much so that it has caused the Christians to, to fight with each other. Lord, we thank you for the miracle of bringing them together, for the apologies offered and for the new spirit of unity among them. And we pray that that spirit, that is your spirit, would be driven deep into the people of Albania. May their witness continue to inspire us. Father, we, we pray on this weekend when we, we think about the, the work of Dr. King, that you would continue to make us a, a people who are, are interested and active for peace and reconciliation. Father, we pray that as we think about the sanctity of human life, that that you would help us to have deep concerns about all human life. We pray, Father, that you would lead us as we work to make every person's life as valuable as you see them. Father, we thank you for your grace and ministry, your work in us. Pour out your spirit on all of us in this place, and as we go from this place, may we sense your spirit in a way that leads us to see you in every moment and to trust you in every circumstance. We pray this, Father, through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The ushers will come forward now to assist us as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. I see the cloud I step in Flashes of light, rolls of thunder, but I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, show me your glory.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.